we're glad you've chosen to listen to our weekly talkback. The weekly talkback is designed to take a portion of the teaching from this week to a deeper level. You may want to listen to this week's teaching, but it isn't necessary to understand the weekly talkback. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy the weekly talkback from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This is going to be the same intro for all of the upcoming weekly devotional videos. Uh, in January of 2022, we did a question and answer Sunday, and you guys submitted so many questions, there was no way that I could possibly answer them all in a Sunday service. So what we decided to do instead was answer as many as I could in that Sunday service and take the rest and make them weekly devotionals. So what you are about to see is a question submitted by members of the congregation Four question and answer Sunday, but we're going to be answering these over an extended period of time. So I hope that you enjoy this weekly devotional. I hope that you are having a fantastic day. And if you have any questions about Kanoi Brethren in Christ Church, if you want to get involved in some way, shape, or form, feel free to check out our website, kanoichurch.org, or email me at nick at kanoi.org. Have a great day. Well, good morning, or it might be afternoon, honestly, by the time this thing gets posted. I apologize that I'm a day late, but uh, this week has been a little rough on our family. We had a bit of a 24-hour bug kind of run right through the family, and it's kind of set some things behind, and the weekly devotional was one of those things. So glad to be with you, glad to be feeling healthy again, and I'm ready to jump in with a question that was submitted to our Q&A Sunday. It was submitted online. And in our service on Sunday, we talked about Scripture, and I told you I was going to do a weekly devotional on Scripture. And that's what this is. And the reason I had kind of been processing that in my mind is because of this question that I knew had been written about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I think the Dead Sea Scrolls are uh, something that's really important for us to be aware of. Now, I will say this. Before we go on any further, before you listen any further, I want to make you aware that this information could feel a little um, uh, surprising to you. Uh, and and I and here's why I think it's important for us to be aware of it, though. Um, I told you on Sunday that when I went to Bible college, I felt like the rug was pulled out from under my feet, and I felt like I almost lost my faith when I hit the ground, you know. And um, one of the reasons is that I didn't feel like I was really prepared for some of the things that I would learn about Scripture, about the Bible, about Christianity. And, and what I want to do, what I want to endeavor to do as a pastor is I want to do a better job of preparing um, the people who God has given me to shepherd. And, and so that means dealing with the, the hard truths that are out there and trying to wrestle with those things in the midst of our faith. I don't think that anything I'm about to tell you should make you throw your faith out the window. I don't think it should make you throw your Bible out the window or anything like that. If anything, I think it's going to make you go, okay, this is why we don't worship the Bible. This is why we worship the living God. Um, the Son of God came to earth 
and he died on a cross for all of us. He was resurrected, rose again in three days, ascended to heaven, and has promised that we get to join him someday. Those are the things, we worship that living God. We have never, ever, ever worshiped a book. We have never, ever, ever worshiped a collection of 66 books all compiled into something that we know as the Bible. The other thing that we in the Brethren in Christ in the Anabaptist world don't do is we don't call the Bible inerrant. And, and that word might be really familiar to you and it might be unfamiliar. But what that word means is without error. And the reason we don't call the Bible inerrant is because the Bible doesn't call itself inerrant. We're not going to sit back and go, oh yeah, there's no... Um, errors in the Bible. There's no place where the Bible says this, and then it says this, and it seems like it contradicts itself. We, we, don't, we don't have to worry about that because what we say is the Bible is inspired. It's inspired by God. And we can, the Bible talks about itself that way, so we can be confident in that. We don't have to battle it out with other, other religions or other denominations about the errancy of the Bible. And I think Again, what we talk about today will lend itself to you having that comfort in the back of your mind. Now, let me ask, let me, let me read to you the question that was asked, and then let me go into some explanation about the Dead Sea Scrolls. So here's the question. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. They have been a great treasure trove of biblical texts older than we ever had before. From my understanding, they show that there are different versions of some of the books of the Bible. With this in mind, how can we be certain that the Old Testament that we read today is the same Old Testament that Jesus, Paul, etc. knew and read? How can we be certain that the books and letters of the New Testament are exactly how the authors of the New Testament books wrote them? If we cannot be certain about these things, should this change how we interact with the Bible? So this is a fantastic question, and it gets right at the heart of what we're talking about. So here's the last caveat I'm going to give you. If you don't feel like going on any further, that's fine. If your faith feels like, look, Nick, I'm pretty new in this, and this just feels like it might be shaky for me, then don't, don't worry about it right now. There's nothing that you are going to miss if you don't do this. This is just extra information about our scripture that um, helps lend itself to our understanding of the whole thing. Okay? So here we go. There are, there are three languages present in Scripture, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and there are some phrases interspersed throughout. Some of the original or, or close to original documents might have some Aramaic in them as well. Aramaic is sort of this like close cousin to Hebrew. It's very similar. Jesus would have spoken Hebrew and Aramaic, and it would be surprising if he didn't speak Greek. And the reason that Greek was such a popular language is because those conquerors who conquered the, the known area spoke Greek. And so the language of the conquered is the language of the conquerors, right? So Greek was this massive, uh, we'll call it worldwide at the time, language. Um, and anyway, the Old Testament is, is, is in Hebrew. So the oldest complete copy, Hebrew copy of the Old Testament, is from the year 1008. Now, I don't know if that surprises you or not, um, but that makes it a thousand years after Christ and a thousand years old. We have one, like a copy that is from 930, uh, the year 930, but that's, it's, you know, 40% of the Old Testament is missing from that. So the one from 
1008 is this kind of complete one, and it's known as L. Scholars call it L, as in um, love, as in Leningrad, because it's kept in Russia, um, oddly enough. L is what most of our Bible's Old Testament is based off of, okay? Now, here's the interesting. You might be surprised and going, okay, it's only a thousand years old. Uh, didn't Jesus come like 2,000 years ago? Wasn't the Old Testament happening like a thousand years and, and more before Jesus came? Yeah, absolutely. It is surprising, right? We do have two Greek manuscripts of the Old Testament that go back to the fourth century. So that would be the, somewhere in the year um, 300 to 399, right? Somewhere in there, there's these Greek copies of the Old Testament. Now, the thing you have to remember that is, is if it's in Greek, then it's been translated. It's been copied from Hebrew to Greek. If it's in Greek, it's not the original because Greek didn't show up until after, you know, the Old Testament times. So it's, it's quite difficult, if you think about this, to reverse engineer the Greek copies back to Hebrew. Even if you know Hebrew and Greek really well, uh, fourth century Hebrew can't be the same as Hebrew from 400 BC, like 400 years before Christ, or 1,000 years before Christ, because language evolves, words change meaning, all right? So, so going back and trying to figure out what would the Hebrew have said from the Greek copies that are already 300 years old, that's not going to work, which means that until 1947, the oldest complete Old Testament manuscript that we had um, wasn't in the original language. It had been translated into that language, which means we know what the Old Testament was to Greek-speaking people living between 300 and 399 A.D., or C.E., depending on your what you A.D. or C.E., same thing. Um, but we don't know what the Old Testament scriptures were to the Maccabees, or what was it to God's people coming out of exile in Babylon. We just don't know. When you translate from one language um, to another, you get the best approximation of a word in the new language. Um, you, so you get the best approximation of the old word in the, in the new language. So our Greek text from the 4th century tells us plenty about the Greek language, but nothing about the Hebrew or Aramaic language from 300 to, four years, 300 to 400 years before. Okay, So you might be thinking, okay, Nick, why is this a big deal? Okay, and I'm, I'm going to try and tell you. Let me... Let me ask you these questions. Do you know what it means to be a, a mully grub? What does it mean to be a gap seed? What if somebody calls you a pick thank? Or if somebody calls you an ambidexter? Like, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? You know, with all of these phrases that I just said, mully grub, gap seed, pick thank, and ambidexter, those are all 300 years old. They're commonplace phrases in the 1700s. And so if, if I'm trying to read to you a letter um, from the 1700s, but as I'm reading it to you, I'm kind of putting it in my own words so that you understand, because I know, oh, they don't know what ambidexter means. So when I, when I read that word, I'm going to use a common word. Um, when I read it, I'm going to change the word to a word you understand. Then you have to trust then I know what those words mean too, and you have to trust that I'm clear in my explanation. So let's use ambidexter as an example. That's a word that means being a double dealer. It, in reality, it's like you're the person who convinces the athlete to take a dive, 
and then you deal profits to both parties, right? We would call that person nowadays like a fixer or a cheater. Those are my words. And maybe if I was reading to you my letter from the 1700s, I would say cheater instead of ambidexter, and that would accurately represent what the person who wrote the letter meant. But what if it was really important to talk about the gambling aspect of ambidexter? Because that is a part of the definition of ambidexter. It's somebody who's double dealing, somebody who is dealing profits to both sides. So I glaze over the gambling aspect so that I can translate it to you and say, um, oh, cheater, right? If a thousand years later, all I have is a manuscript that says cheater, because as I explained to you what the letter said, you wrote it down so that you could explain to the next person what it said. All we have is the word cheater a thousand years from now. Would we be able to go back and figure out that the word cheater was actually the word ambidexter? And would we be able to figure out that it had a gambling connotation? No, we, we would not be able to figure that out, right? Or what if I was reading really fast and I thought that the word wasn't ambidexter, I thought it was ambidextrous, someone who can use both their hands equally. I, I tell you that's what it means. A thousand years ago, uh, from now, because you were writing down what I said, you have ambidextrous rather than ambidexter, and we've completely changed the meaning of the thing, right? So this is why something that's closer to the original becomes really important, especially when we get into people like Paul in the New Testament or people like Isaiah in the Old Testament using words that we struggle to know exactly what they mean, because there are times where people who have written these letters, these epistles, or these books in the Bible, use words that we see only appear a single time ever. And so we have to try and infer what the meaning is. So having something closer to the original is always going to be helpful. So um, going back to the original source to verify what you think is being said is helpful because if you could a thousand years from now look at your thing that says ambidextrous that you wrote down and you're like, that really doesn't make sense. And you can go back to the letter that I read and you go, oh, it's actually the word ambidexter. Then you can actually clarify what was being said. I think you can see my point. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's clearer than mud that it's, it's really hard to reconstruct a language when something has been a translation, right? Really hard until this is the magic year. 1947. And the, and the story goes like this. There's a shepherd near the Dead Sea whose sheep ran into a cave. And so he throws a rock into the cave to try and scare the sheep out. And he hears the rock hit something strange. So he goes into the cave to look for it. And what does he find? The rock hit like a clay pot or something. And inside the clay pot is all this stuff. And there's not just one clay pot. There's tons of clay pots. And there's a whole bunch of caves all around the area. And they're all full of all these different what becomes known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. What, what's in all of these pots? Um, tons of Hebrew manuscripts, okay? Uh, we have like a thousand complete Hebrew, Hebrew manuscripts of the Old Testament. Um, none of them have Esther in them, but that's okay. Um, probably doesn't have Esther in it because Esther doesn't mention God. That's a scholarly guess, but we don't really know. And then there's, beyond that, 15,000 fragments of Hebrew manuscripts, okay? This is a treasure trove of information. And now you might be asking a question, okay, it's great that they found all this Hebrew stuff, but how old are they, Nick? Because we just said our oldest Hebrew copy was only a thousand years old and it came a thousand years after Christ, right? Yes. 
So you're asking the right question. How old are the Dead Sea Scrolls, these Hebrew manuscripts that are even complete of the Old Testament? They're 1,200 years older than the oldest one we have, which puts them 200 years before Jesus. So what do the Dead Sea Scrolls show us? All right, that's where this whole thing gets kind of tricky. We have evidence of at least three uh, pre-Christ versions of the Old Testament. Now, that might throw you off, and that's the piece that I was a little worried might throw some people off. Just because they're different doesn't mean that what we have currently is wrong. There's a lot of different kinds of differences. Sometimes it's in the spelling of a word. Sometimes it's in how a book is composed. Sometimes it's the order of how things are put together. There's a lot of different ways things can be different. All right. So don't, don't go off on any rabbit trails in your brain on that. But, but hear me, one of these pre-Christ, these 1200, so they're, they're 2200 years old. One of these very much matches L. And L is the one that our Old Testament Bible is based on, right? So like if you take Isaiah, for instance, Isaiah is there. Isaiah has all 66 chapters. The chapters are all in the same order. It's a good match. In a general way, it's a good match. It's not perfect because we see that there are some differences in maybe some way that the words were used or some spelling of things or even the way things were slightly written down and said. But you would expect that if you find the same book or letter that has been written down and written down and written down and written down and written down, passed on from generation to generation over 1,200 years, you would expect that the language would change a little bit, right? You would expect that somebody might not use the word ambidexter when nobody says ambidexter anymore, right? Makes sense. So we're not too worried about the verbal evolution of Isaiah. I mean, you think about it, even some of the books that we have that are attributed to Moses in the Pentateuch, like the story of the Garden of Eden, of, of the creation of the world, we know that those stories were passed down by mouth for hundreds of years, generations for generations before they were ever written down. This was something that mothers told their daughters and fathers told their sons around a campfire to pass on the story of how the world was created by this incredible God, Yahweh. And then someday somebody wrote it down. Verbal evolution is to be accept, expected. Then you might ask the question, okay, well, if we have something that's 1,200 years older than L, and it, we have this one version that matches pretty good, why not just replace L with the Dead Sea Scrolls version? And that's a fair question too. And here's why. Because of the 15,000 fragments of scripture that we have, there are some of those 15,000 fragments, like let's take the book of Isaiah, for instance, that where the really old 2,200-year-old complete copy of the Old Testament might have some slight changes, some of these fragments have something that's closer to L in Isaiah, but different somewhere else. Uh, and so like a good example would be like Jeremiah. We have... Um, Pretty good evidence that our version of Jeremiah and the version that's, there's another version found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that looks very, very different. Um, one is much longer, one is much shorter. One has some of the chapters, what we know as chapters, they weren't really chapters, but we, we, we would call them chapters now. They've, they've been rearranged a bit. Um, so 
so that's it. That's that's the importance of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls have opened the door to studying things in a whole new way. What does it all mean? Scholars have to keep studying. They have to keep putting the pieces together. And as Christians who care about the Bible, remember that the Brethren of Christ, the Anabaptists, are Bible-loving, Scripture-loving people. But again, here's the important thing, we never elevate Scripture above Jesus Christ, right? We need to pay attention, though. Because we love Scripture, we need to pay attention to the scholarly work that's being done as they put all these pieces together. We have to recognize that some of the newest work being done on biblical interpretation is actually some of the best work being done because we have access since 1947 to something that's much closer to the original. Do we have the original? No, we don't have the original. I mean, if you were to think back and, and do some of the dating, it would be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years old. And it would have had to survive fires and people being exiled and uh, conquering nations and all of that stuff. What you have is a people who had an incredible brain for passing this stuff on from son to son to son to son to son to, to, to from mother to daughter around a campfire. And they wrote these things down. And they memorized these. And, and we might think to ourselves, how, how can we trust that? And, and I don't think that's the right question at all, because it'd be the same as how we have missionaries who are like memorizing whole books of the Bible so that when they go abroad and they get put into prison, they can write down on scraps the books of the Bible that they've memorized and they can pass them out to the prisoners. Would we not trust what they've memorized? Of course we would, because we trust, we trust in what God is doing through them in that prison. All of this doesn't mean that we don't trust Scripture. We absolutely can trust Scripture. And if we want to be super honest about it, we have to also recognize that what we have as the Bible, those pieces weren't all collected into one thing for hundreds of years after Jesus went back to heaven, right? His apostles, his disciples, those who followed him, they were still writing these things for decades and decades and decades after Jesus ascended. So, of course, those things wouldn't get all pulled together and compiled into one neat little thing for quite a long time. And then, of course, you have terrible moments in history where it's absolutely surprising that these things even survived. I mean, we have, we have stories of pages of manuscripts of our scriptures being found in trash cans, in monasteries even. Um, there's just, there's all kinds of stories like this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think this way. Scripture is really important. Scripture is one incredible method, uh, one way that I can get to know who God is. It's a trustworthy source, but that's not the only source I have. I have the Holy Spirit. And if I am a new creation in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is within me and I can trust the Holy Spirit. We also have the tradition of the church. And that would be a really important one for us to recognize is that there is 2,000 years of church history that we can look back on. And the church did a pretty decent job of keeping historical records and writing down their doctrines and passing those on. And we have all of these incredible minds, these church fathers who have done incredible work using scriptures that sometimes we have access to and sometimes we don't to build a faith that we have inherited. And uh, and we can, we can trust those things as well. And then beyond all that, you know, the New Testament, the Old Testament aren't exactly in the same category here as we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, the Gospels, um, 
these are documents that are, are much fresher, much newer, have been rewritten and written and written and written over time. We can trust the life of Jesus. We can trust the, the verbal storytelling about the biography of Jesus. We can trust in those things. And, and this shouldn't throw us off. But if we don't ever talk about things like this, then the first time we hear it, it might throw us off. It might be like somebody yanks the rug out from under us and we fall down and we can't recover. You shouldn't be surprised by this in a conversation with somebody. You should be aware of this as you engage with scripture. So I want to celebrate the fact that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And it might seem random to somebody to, to think, oh, a shepherd threw a rock into a cave and then boom, they found him. I think it was God himself who made sure that that got found and made sure that it was at the right time, that we would have the ability to preserve those pieces, that we would have the sort of scholars and scientists that could make sure we could take the time to put those together, that we would have folks who would, I mean, devote their life to these things, to putting the pieces all together. And, and if you want to read more about it, there's plenty of books out there. There's even books out there that have done the work of detailing where the Dead Sea Scrolls differ from what we would say, this is our Bible and this is our Old Testament. So where are things a little different? I mean, there's whole books written on this stuff. But I want to tell you that as the person who is standing up front, who is bringing the word on a regular basis from the front, who's shepherding you, this does not make me question scripture, not even in the least bit. It just makes me go, okay, okay, good to know. I'm reminded that Jesus is on high, not a book and not scripture. And I hope that as you engage with this and maybe watch it again and maybe do some research yourself through Google or, or, or whatever, um, though I would say, look for scholarly articles that are peer-reviewed on this stuff, um, that you would also be reminded that Jesus is king, that Jesus is on high, and it's him we worship, not scripture. Scripture leads us to Jesus. Scripture isn't the end all. Jesus is the end all. That's the whole point of scripture, to lead us to Jesus. Have a good day. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you.